Hi, this is Bob Gruen, rock and roll photographer from New York, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Elliot Landy, a famous rock photographer, particularly covering the classic rock period of the 1960s. He's responsible for a number of iconic album cover photos, including... Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline, the band, music from Big Pink, Janis Joplin's Cheap Thrills, Van Morrison's Moondance, one of my favorites. Plus, he shot Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Joan Baez, Eric Clapton, and so many more. And then there are his photographs of Woodstock, which are also iconic. And he's authored a number of books, and he's won a zillion awards. What a career. And as you know, I like to feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end. And I always try to make that song relevant somehow to my guest. In this instance, my featured song is called Annie and Lenny from my latest album, Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. I chose this song because my producer... Tony Carey thinks that this song is reminiscent of the band who Elliot worked with. I take this association as a great compliment. So, Elliot Landy, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Hi. I, I, I'm waving, but your, your audience can't see me, but hi. They can hear the wave, I'm sure. Good. <laughs> All right. You've had an incredible career. And one of the album covers that you shot was Big Pink. Music from Big Pink, which was a band album from the 1960s. I'm going to just start off with a little vignette. My wife and I were looking around for a home, and we happened to look in Saugerties. And the real estate agent showed us this dump that was right next to Big Pink. Oh. And I'm looking at Big Pink because I didn't know it at the time. But the real estate agent said, well, that's where the band recorded the album. And I'm looking and saying, well, it's a pink house, but it wasn't <laughs> terribly impressive. You made it impressive. Oh, that's funny. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me, how did you get into this whole racket, huh? You mean taking photographs or how did I get involved with the band? Well, start with the photographs part. When I graduated from college, <laughs> I had nothing I wanted to do particularly, and so I got a job in a with a with a, a in the garment center with a company, intending to earn enough money in six months to travel for a while. And after six months, I hadn't earned enough money to travel for a while, <laughs> but I knew that I didn't want to have a corporate job. Uh, uh, so I said, "Well, I have to find something that I like to do and earn money from it." So there were two choices: there was going out with girls or taking pictures. And I decided I would take pictures and try and earn money. For, I was trying to make picture taking my career in a way. 
But were you a professional at that time? Did you take lessons? Oh, no, How did you learn no, it? No, no, no. That's going back too far for the half hour we have, if you don't mind. All I right. think people would rather hear about my connection to the band. Well, I want to hear about that, too. But people want to know, how do you get into this kind of a business? From love. It's, I never got into it as a business, which is which is suffering, something I'm still suffering from. You know, I, I really didn't never I never treated it as a business. Always something I loved that I wanted to make money from afterwards. And and in my life, I did the rock and roll photography that's so well known uh, for only about a year and a half, two years maximum. And then I moved on to other genres of photography. For a while after that, I didn't I didn't take pictures at all because I had lost my inspiration. I got bored with taking music business photographs. By business, I mean the genre of, of music, not just the business of it. And I got bored with that. And I did I, I didn't do anything for I opened up a bookstore actually at, at that point. I opened up a spiritual bookstore because I found out about metaphysical spiritual books. And um I where do I go after this? Sorry, I lost track go, here. Go back to the rock portion, because I think that's what people would want to hear about. Tell me how you got into that. Okay. So the next thing I did was photograph my wife and children for the next 10 years. That's all I did there, because I wanted to share that and publish those, what I thought were beautiful pictures. So going back to the beginning of it, I learned how to how to do photography, how to technically how. I had one teacher who taught me a man named Lawrence Shustak, and I got the, the gist of the attitude of life. He was really more uh, as much a spiritual teacher as he was a photography teacher, but he never talked about spirit per se. And I just saw how you get into photography. Basically, the first thing I do is I put an ad in the New York newspapers, uh, New York uh, acting newspaper. It was called Backstage, saying I want to do portraits. And I, I got a, a few jobs like that. And then luckily, I got a, um, my girlfriend was a publicist, and she one day says, there's a, there's a, a very famous Scandinavian actress, Harriet Anderson. She was in Ingemar Bergman's early photo or early pictures, early films. And um, she's in New York City doing a film, and I could get you in to take photographs of them. And then maybe you could sell an article to one of the papers or something like that. So, um, I, I went down there and the we fell in love with each other. I don't mean Harriet. I'm talking about the whole crew and Danish people and Danish filmmakers and these guys and women who were on the, on the set of doing this film. And they asked me, to, the director asked me to come back to Denmark with them to take photographs, uh, to, to, to be the, the set photographer for the film in Copenhagen. This is all in the course of seven days, you know, and I got my passport in three. And, and uh, that was really my first break into being published in major magazines because after the film was over i took the photographs and i sold them to major magazines in sweden in sweden and denmark where she was such a famous actress there and then i i the vietnam war was was on and ramping up and i had the opportunity to stay in copenhagen and do some more work but i wanted to come home and try and do something to help stop the vietnam war so my first thought was, well, I'll 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 go to Vietnam and show how bad war is. And then my second thought was, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go to Vietnam. Right. I don't want to be shot at. I don't want to be injured, and all that. So I decided I would take pictures of peace demonstrations to show people that the peace demonstrations were happening. There could be a demonstration in New York City. The New York Times would give it 
uh, you know, like a, like two or three inches in the middle of the paper with no photographs at all. So the, these demonstrations were not being covered. The anti-war sentiment that was happening in the city were, were really not being paid attention to for a lot. So I started to do that, and that brought me into working with underground newspapers because the normal press wasn't interested, even though I had major pictures published already in large publications. The, uh, I went up to the Associated Press one time with a picture of a, there was a demonstration and the police beat this guy on crutches. He was trying, he couldn't run fast enough. So they caught up with him and they beat him to the ground with nightsticks. He certainly wasn't doing anything to them. He was incapable of it. He had both his hands tied up supporting himself on crutches. So I had pictures of this and I go up to Associated Press and they processed the film for me and they looked at it and they said, no, we don't use this kind of picture or something like that. You know, so that's why I started working with underground press. Was this like the Village Voice back then, or different? It was the uh, uh, the, the Rat Subterranean the News. It, yeah, it was Underground News Subterranean News. That's what it meant, and it was quite a big, good sized paper actually. And then one night after we put the paper to bed, I was walking down Second Avenue where the office was, and I see a marquee that says Country Joe and the Fish Light Show. And I, what is that? What's what's Country Joe and the Fish? You know, what's a light show? I had no idea, right? And I go over to the box office and I uh, hear this incredible music coming out of the theater. And I had a police press pass uh, and I showed it to her and she let me inside. And that was my first rock and roll concert, actually. Uh, and and uh, I was just taken by the, the, the beauty of it. We don't have enough time for me to describe it, but it was amazing. And because I wanted to get up close to the stage and see it, I took out my camera and I started and I walked up close to the stage because you can do that with the camera, right? And I I sold a couple of those pictures to some to some magazines. And then two weeks later at the same, oh, and also in those years, there were these were not famous people. So I, I went backstage. I was allowed to go backstage because I had a few cameras around my neck, you know. I was you a professional photographer. I was the part actually. I was real good at it, you know. And I, I and so I was backstage in the dressing with Country Joe and and uh, um, uh, Bob Fast was there. If you know, he was. Ed Sanders was there. Linda Eastman was there. She was a photographer taking pictures at the concert. So two weeks later, the next concert, the theater was the Anderson Theater. The next concert was Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company, right? And you can imagine, I mean, Country Joe was good, but Janis Joplin was- He was through the roof. The Big yeah. Brother band were just phenomenal, you know? So I took a lot of pictures of them and also went upstairs and backstage. And and uh, when I photograph, I take great caution not to be in the way, not to be part of the scene. I'm not there to show off my jeans. I'm not there so that they should admire my style or anything like that. I really try very, very hard to be invisible and not to interfere in any way with what's happening. So I can really show what's happening. I can document what's happening right. and all that. So that's what I did. So people don't mind me being there when 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 I'm like that. And and I got to know the people in the band. We got friendly together. And they were, um, and then I got um, an assignment to go with them to Detroit for New York Magazine, to to go with them to take pictures of uh, of of them, and that was, um, and it turned out since we don't have that much time, it turns out that the man Albert Al Albert Grossman, Albert Janis Joplin, Big Brother in the Holding Company manager was Albert Grossman. The same man, the same person that managed Bob Dylan and Richie Havens and Peter Paul right. and Mary, 
and and later on the band. So um, I won't go into the story. You know what? My book is called <laughs> Woodstock Vision, The Spirit of a Generation. And these stories are in there, I hope. And if they're not in there well enough, please let me know. And you can buy it secondhand. I'm not saying this to sell a book. I'm saying this to share the information that's in the book. All right. So tell me this. You were with Janis Joplin. This is yes. at the, you know, the, I guess you could say the beginning, but, you know, she was a meteoric figure in the industry. What was it like to be shooting her and working with her? Um, fun. <laughs> it was just very comfortable. There was no stress on anyone's part. Nobody was worried about how they were going to look. And I wasn't worried about how they were going to look. I mean, I, I cared, but I wasn't, there was no tension. It wasn't a job. I didn't have to I would have to get them looking good. I took pictures of what they looked like, and they just happened to look good. Were you only doing them when they were performing, or was it backstage? Oh as no, well? it was backstage also. And then I got close to them actually. And when we went to Detroit, it was very, uh, you know, at the hotels and the, and the airplane and so on. And you know, we kind of we went together in, in that sense. So you kind of became an accidental rock photographer. You got the Country Joe thing, which led into the Janice thing. Yeah. Then you meet Albert Grossman. Tell us what happens after that. What it was for me that when I was taking the rock and roll photographs after the Anderson Theater and Janice, the Fillmore East opened, and there were there were there were all these Frank Zappa, Jim Morrison, et cetera. And for me, the, when I was taking the rock and roll photographs, I was proselytizing for this new way of thinking, the new way of of feeling that the sixties were about. You'd go down there against anti-war. We don't we don't kill. We don't fight. This whole it's really a '60s thought was really an innovative, uh, innovative uh, for that for that time those years way of thinking. And we should be studying how the so-called hippies thought and what the whole thought process was in the '60s because only way we're ever going to get a peaceful planet is to is to change how we feel. We were an anti-war generation back then, and the Vietnam War made us that way. Yeah, and we should. Yeah, anyway, I won't get into that part of it. So, I uh, where was I? God, what did I say? <laughs> we went to Detroit, and then we were going on to Albert Grossman, and you're going to meet Dylan and the band at some point soon. Yeah. Well, so um, Janice's manager was Albert Grossman, and he saw the pictures that I took. And the reason I mentioned my book is there's a whole lot of story, there's a whole lot of words about me meeting Albert, him throwing me out of Carnegie Hall, and then and then turning around and asking me to photograph quote this new group. One night I was photographing Janice at, at a club uh, club generation, which was turned into Jimi Hendrix's Lecture Ladyland after after that. But and Albert goes like this to me, you know, he taps me on the shoulder and I don't know if he's going to throw me out or what he's going to, why he's tapping me on the shoulder. And he takes me into a big utility room and he said, you're doing anything this weekend? And I said, <laughs> I said, no. And he said, well, I have a new band that we need some pictures of. And I said, well, what's their name? Said, well, they don't have a name because we don't know maybe the crackers, but we don't know if they're going to have a name because they don't want to be pigeonholed into doing the same kind of music all the time. He says, but you'd have to go up to Canada to take the pictures. And it turned out to be the band. Um, and the picture was a photograph of, of, of them with their families, their mothers, uncles, fathers, et cetera. And th that was their statement at the time. They say, we honor our parents. In the 60s, in order to change something, you have to throw other, other things away, the way you think, the way you feel. A lot of people in the 60s were saying, oh, my parents are terrible, and my grandparents did this, and I don't want any part of my, my ancestors, and so on. 
And the band was saying, hey, these people have raised us. They brought us here. They 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 worked their whole lives so we could be where we are now. And they wanted to make that statement. It was a very conscious statement against a lot of the excesses of changing the way society is. So I went there to take that picture. And from there, I got friendly with them. Uh, they, again, because I don't get in the way. I just stay. I did not want to intrude on what they were doing or chat with them at all you do your thing and ignore me so they said during the process of knowing each other they said if you want to stay over just come on up and just come in and sleep on the couch like that with, with any... so i had access to them in other words uh there was no again you asked how was it to be with janice Chopper? it was just comfortable uh, it was just really, and I would make sure not to, I never popped in somebody's face while they were talking to somebody else, for example, you know, that'd be the last thing I would do. Um, so, uh, and then that led to meeting, so I met Bob Dylan at a at a party at Albert Grossman's house while I was hanging out with the band one, one, one day and um, just introduced, didn't say anything to him and just introduced to each other. And then um, Al Aronowitz, who was a writer, very good writer uh, in those years, uh, a, a music journalist, and but also wrote other things as well. Um, worked for the New York Post. He called up one, one, called me up one day. He was a friend of the band, so that's how I met him. And he said, Elliot, we need a picture of Bob for the cover of this evening post, you know. And I was living in New York City. And so I drove up in a little Volkswagen. I rented a small Volkswagen. I drove up to Woodstock and um, Al meets me in town and he says, follow me. And he gets in his car and I drive up after him, pulls into this big driveway uh, up to winding mountain roads. Not so far, but it was winding around and stuff. And uh, he gets out. He says, I'll be right back. Goes into the house, comes out minute later with bob following him right and and al says elliot this is bob bob this is elliot and he scoots back in his car and drives away leaving me 10 feet away from the most famous and best musician in the world as far as i'm concerned you know like that so that's how i met bob dylan <laughs> hi everybody i'm robert miller your host as you know by now, I'm a professional musician, in addition to being the host of this podcast. With my band, Project Grand Slam, I've released 12 highly acclaimed albums, including Trippin', which went to number one on Billboard. And we've got millions of video views and streams. My latest album is called Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. It's been called Album of the Year by Indie Shark. I released this album in a novel way via five episodes of this podcast. And I'm pleased to say that those episodes have been downloaded over 50,000 times in more than 130 countries. I invite you to listen to the album. It's available on Spotify and all the other streaming services. And I also invite you to check out all the episodes of this Follow Your Dream podcast. I've had so many amazing, famous musicians and others as guests on the show, all of whom have followed their dream to success. The episodes are fun and entertaining, 
And we must be doing something right because the podcast is ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts with listeners in 200 countries. How about that? So every episode is like taking a world tour. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode when it airs. And also, please sign up for our weekly emails, which keep you up to date on everything. The links are all in the show notes. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. Tell us how you took that photo, that wonderful photo of the Nashville skyline cover. Well, after we did the uh, Saturday Evening Post work, we we got friendly um, and uh, comfortable with each other. And once when, when I was up there to do taking some pictures one time, he said, "You're going back to the city now." And I said, "No, I'm going to stay at Rick's house." Um, and he said, oh, "You can stay upstairs. I have a room upstairs. You know, you can you can stay upstairs. We have a." guest room so i stayed over one night and then the next morning he asked me to, to photograph his wife him with his family with his two children and, and three children two two and three children depending on the picture we took and so then i did that and everything worked out very comfortably and one day i get a phone maybe i don't know was it six eight nine months later i got a phone call from it was bob he said i just got back from nashville i want you to come over i want to I need a cover for the back of the album, okay? And and um, I said, okay. And he says, because I'm going to put a picture of the skyline of Nashville. It's called Nashville Skyline. And I'm going to put a picture of the skyline of Nashville on the front of the album. So I go over there, and he plays the acetate for me. Actually, he gave me an acetate of that that I, that I no longer have. Oh. And I, I remember the moment I sold it, actually. It was many years. It was years ago, of course. Hey, what a mistake. Before things were collectible, uh, you know, I'm sorry I sold it, but but I've made worse mistakes in my life. <laughs> uh, so uh, he played it for me, and we talked a bit, and then uh, we went out. I came back another day to take pictures, and when I photograph, I wait for the. Uh, it was in color; it was a color photograph, and with color, you need you, you need the right light, and the right light comes at the end of the day. The movie in movies they call it the magic moment, the the magic hour rather. Um, I think they call it that. And so we were hanging out in his house, and when the time came, I said, "Okay, the light's right. Let's go out there." So I I lead the way, walking out of his house, and he stops at, at the door where he's got his his where the coats are hanging and hats and, and so on, coats and everything. He stops for a moment. He grabs the hat, but he doesn't say anything. He actually goes back for it. He, we were outside. And he went, he, he stepped back to get the hat. And so we're walking around and again, no planning, no thought. He's not asking me what he should wear. And I'm not telling him what he should look like at all. Just kind of wandering around outside his house. And I say, let's take one here. And he says, let's do this. And at some point he said to me, and his son, Jesse was with us, a five-year-old. And at some point he said to me, and you can't see me, but I'm pointing at the ground. He says, take one from down there. And he points to just a spot. I don't know why he says that at all. But I'm very, I'm, uh, I, I'm very open. I'm very receptive when I work with people. And so I just started to get down where he's pointing from, and I'm picking up the camera, 
and it was muddy down there also but didn't i didn't even think about that and i pick up the camera I'm, I'm adjusting the camera to point it at him as i'm getting down on one knee to take the picture and all that and he's he's still trying to set the picture up and he's saying you think i should wear this hat and I say I don't know, but as but I take the picture as I say that, and he's asking that. And when he's asking me, you think I should wear the hat? He's smiling because it's kind of a funny thing to do to wear a hat like that. In the sixties, people didn't wear hats. Young people, you know, of, of our generation, were not wearing old kind of Western style hats, which is what that was. So he's kind of he's joking about it. He thinks it's it's a it's a funny thing to do. He's fooling her. He's a very funny person, Bob. He's always always doing play on word stuff and. A lot of his music is like in those years was like that, like Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands was Sarah Lowndes, his wife, and so on. So he's he was just a very funny guy, and he was having fun with it. Should I wear this hat? We're going to do a funny picture, and I'm saying I don't know, but I take the picture, and and that's how the National Skyline picture happened. That's the one where you're you're looking up. He's got the hat on. Yeah, it's a great picture. He's got it in his hand. He's putting it on. He's saying, should I wear the hat? And I'm saying, I don't know if you should wear that or not. You know, like that. And Terrific. we're both kind of in in, in, a, in a humorous space there. It's not like, oh, let me get the picture. Hold on. It just happened in a moment. And and I say it's very important, to, again, word of wisdom, to be open to what life brings. And just to when, when the opportunity is there, just to say yes to it. Well, part of the trick of being a photographer is capturing the moment. Yes. And that's what you've been able to do. All right, tell us about another moment. You've got that iconic photo of Van Morrison. Tell us how that came about. <laughs> You're asking for the good ones. Um, I went up to, he was living, he had just moved to Woodstock with his wife, and she had a five-year-old son. I think he was five years old at the time. And um, Van greets me, he says, okay, let's take the picture, you know. And he's got a big pimple right right above his eyebrows practically <laughs> big red pimple there see that's the stuff nobody knows that's what no self-consciousness at all in these things if you look in my book you'll see one of the pictures shows that pimple it's a black and white one and so on it was a blackhead is what you're saying <laughs> no no it, was a, no it wasn't it made it those are red. It, was, it was big and red it wasn't you know i don't know what caused it it could have been a bee sting or something i don't know even a pimple whatever it was it, it was it was unsightly, we'll, we'll say. Um, so I, as a photographer, always took pictures, not always, but often took pictures close up. I liked, instead of taking the whole head of somebody from uh, below the chin to above the to, to, to above the top of the head, I would zoom, I would I would zoom in, I would go close and just take from above the eyebrows to the chin, just get really close to someone. I felt they were interesting photographs that way. And I got kind of beaten down a couple of times, a few times by art directors that, oh, you're missing the top of their head. Where's the top of the head? And of course, in those years, people didn't take those kind of pictures as portraits at all. So, but fortunately, that was my style. I like to do that. And uh, so I had a camera in order to go so close like that and keep everything sharp you you needed a, a special lens that focused a close focusing lens which i had so i did that with van and i wasn't doing it consciously not at least i don't remember i probably was consciously not showing the pimple yeah but i saw so i was able to get very close to him and took that beautiful image of him that, that was it was on the cover of moon dance and i say beautiful image because the light in the room, like the room was like a, a light wooden, wooden toned room, light wood um, tones. And uh, 
the the daylight that came in it all was so perfect that it it looks like a looks like an impressionist painting it's really soft and i don't even yes. know if that's the right period like that but it's such and he looks he looks in that photograph like what we think van gogh would look like or what we see from his paintings in, in this beautiful picture so again that was by chance that the light was there and uh i took this picture so close so close of him and i love that photograph i'm just curious when you're doing something like that are you taking one shot or are you taking you know 50 different shots and this is the one that works well uh, no no I, I i kept shooting because you never know when the next one is 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 going to be the best you know so so i keep shooting as long as the situation allows it and i took a lot of pictures and i two things i say one, one thing i said i'm not a great photographer i'm a great editor meaning i select only the best pictures and that's what i show to people and that's what i or anytime a young person shows me their pictures i said only show me your best. Don't show me the ones that were almost good. And it's really important. If you want to create an impression on someone, just pick out the best. And the second thing I said at the time, which looking back is is, is not so smart that we didn't know, is that nobody ever paid me for a picture I didn't take. So because people say you take a lot of pictures, and I would say that, you know, but these days with the environment, the environment and so on. And of course, I wasn't doing it for the money anyway. But it's you know it's much better to take a lot of digital photographs because you're not wasting you're not throwing away film and chemistry and so on. I'm just curious, do you like digital or did you prefer film? I like digital. Uh, I would shoot film. Film is is harder to do because well, number one, you only get thirty six pictures, which which is good in some way because it makes you think before you take a picture. With digital, it's nothing. Like, blah, 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 blah. So what happens is you have that. I have thousands of unedited digital pictures, some of which are absolutely stunning and some of which are absolutely terrible, you know, but you got to spend the time. You kind of tie up your time because you make yourself edit. But I, I just moved uh, shooting film is a lot more work you and a lot more difficult. I, need, I had my own dark room with color film. You give it to a lab. And I had to um, carefully develop the film myself because I'm very particular about that. I was I was a bit of a scientist also in the way we in the way I did things. I really I, I mastered the chemistry of it. I mastered the the uh, longevity of it. I used the right amount the right chemistry so that my prints that I made 60 years ago are still pure white. They're not yellowing. There's no fog on them. So I processed them quite well. I was just talking with someone the other day about it. That's why I'm thinking it over, and and. Um, so I was really I I did the right thing scientifically as well as artistically, I hope. But I was sure about the science, the art you never know. I think you did it fine. You know, we have been talking to Elliot Landy here. You told me in advance you were going to impart wisdom, and that's exactly what you've done. It's been a pleasure just to <laughs> listen to you tell all these stories. I feel like we've just done part one. We need to do maybe a part two. Or part oh, I, I would like to. I'd be open to that. Yeah. Listen, but we have to talk about my Kickstarter. Do you mind? Right. Go ahead and tell everybody. So I took over 10,000 photographs of the band, and, in, and uh, I'm doing a book of my photographs that's being financed on being supported, they say. Uh, by Kickstarter campaign, which ends a April 7th. And um, it's for, I, I call it the band photographs. And it's actually volume two. I did volume one of the band photographs in 2015, also financed by a Kickstarter campaign. 
and that's that's sold out now. I have a few of those books for sale on as part of this campaign, but that's sold out. And it, what I did was I made the photographic book of my dreams. I made the a book. It's it's twelve by twelve inches, and it's beautifully printed. It's one picture to a page. A lot of times, I wanted people just to be able to feel the photographs, just to sit as if they were in their own in in their own private gallery and enjoy the pictures. And also text. Um, I don't know who's going to do the text for this one, but volume one, you can't even get volume one used. They're not available. I guess if you look a long time and spend a lot of money for it, you could. But um, I hope I'll be able to publish. Sold out, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, I have some I have some left that I'm selling. I have some I'm keeping. So in 20 years, I, I still have them to give out to. If, if I meet a new friend, oh, here's a copy of my book. I'm not going to sell them all, but I have I have some left that I'm selling as part of this Kickstarter campaign. So it's Kickstarter.com, Lucrelli Landy, and it's it's a 160-page book, 12 by 12 inches, which just came by chance to be the same size as a record album was at the time. And and really, uh, what happened was that after I did the first book, which was also 160 pages, a year or two later in my studio, I noticed I had boxes of prints that said band book outs and band book second choices, band book third choices. And just for curiosity, because it was already a year after two years afterwards, I looked at some of the pictures in these boxes that said outs and said, what? This picture isn't in my book? How is that possible? And I went through the book to see, but it wasn't in my book. And I say, why isn't this picture in the book? Because it was one of my favorite, it was one of my favorite photographs. This happened a lot. So there were a lot of pictures I was finding that really, sh I was shocked that we're not in the first book because they were so good. They they belonged in there. Sounds like you got a good volume two coming out, and maybe even got a volume three in the future, huh? You know, I do. I three and maybe four. All right. <laughs> do a volume of contact sheets at some point also. So that'd be volume three. You got a whole collection there. I think that's great. But volume two is, is gorgeous. Yeah. All right. As I said, we have been speaking here with Elliot Landy, a very famous and accomplished photographer. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been so educational <laughs> and such wisdom has come from you. That's the great part of it. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. We're going to listen now to that song that started off the episode. It's my song called Annie and Lenny. I want to thank you for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. I'm in love with Annie. She's the one for me. So in love with Annie. It's so easy to see But I'm in love with Lenny At the same time So in love with Lenny She's got me in a fight Don't know what to do now Don't know what to say Gotta keep them happy
I got it. 